Today's reading comes from Matthew 6, 5 to 8. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. You may be seated. All right, as you're seated, let me pray. Father, we're so thankful that you've made a way for us just to talk to you, and we know that you hear us when we pray. And so we ask you now that as we look at this passage of Scripture, you would comfort us and strengthen us and Give us a resolve to serve you, that we would know that you are with us and for us, and that we are promised great things because of your love. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Last week, we began this new section in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. We began this new section really looking at these crucial, foundational, spiritual practices uh, of giving to the needy and prayer and fasting. And what we said last week was that we're going to take those spiritual practices and then kind of press them through the filter of the motivation of our hearts and we see what comes out the other side. So last week we looked at the visibility of our faith and we looked at the motivation of our hearts and then we looked at the reward of our Father. And I just said that the blessing and the reward of being citizens of the kingdom of God and children of our Father in heaven the, the blessing and reward in there is, is not so much that we would go around and, and... It's not that we're seeking the praise of others. That's not where we find our reward. We don't find our reward with that comparative, self-congratulatory kind of thing where we feel a little bit better than somebody else or maybe a little worse than somebody else because we're comparing. We don't find our reward in that comparison. We don't find it in the praise of others. But we actually find it as we quietly do good and give and serve and and love and pray for God's glory and God's glory alone. And so the reward is wrapped up in having hearts that are aligned with God and they are oriented toward God and that we are connected to God and we love what he loves and we want what he wants. And when we love what he loves and we want what he wants and we serve him in obedience and we serve him so that his glory is made known around us, we actually participate in his kingdom and we receive the reward of knowing that he is our father in heaven this is the reward that's promised to us and so the reward is seen and experienced in the satisfaction that we have in him and it's actually evidence that reward is evidenced in the way that we labor in participation with what he's doing in the world and we let our light shine when his will is being done and the result of that is that god is supremely glorified so i say all of that to say that's the trajectory here of the next few weeks and He doesn't say if you pray, he says when. Again, just like last week, if you give to the needy is not what the text says, it's when you give to the needy. And so again, we're looking at this, it's the assumption that this is what people in the kingdom of God are going to be participating in, and we move into this topic of prayer today with that in mind. Here's what we're looking at today, Matthew chapter 6, we're going to look at it just in verses 5 and then 7 and then 6, a little bit out of order, but you'll see why in a second. Just read this with me. It says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. But when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. And then it says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And that's how we're going to approach this passage this morning. 
We've got to ask ourselves the question, are we praying like a religious hypocrite? Are we praying like an anxious Gentile or pagan? Or are we praying like a child of our Father? That's the question we want to ask ourselves as we look at these verses in this order. Are we praying like religious hypocrites? Are we praying like anxious pagans? Or third, are we praying like a child of God? Let's look at this. Matthew chapter 6. We'll start in verse 1 and then jump to verse 5. Last week we started in verse 1 and it sets the tone for this whole passage. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Verse 5 says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So let me say first, the problem in this passage is not public prayer. There's nothing wrong with praying in public. Next week, we're going to look at the model of prayer that Jesus gives. We call it the Lord's Prayer. And he begins that with our Father. We pray this out loud together in community. I believe it was designed to be prayed that way as well as privately. But we pray our Father. The idea is that he is our Father. And we can talk about him when we're together. And we can talk to him when we're together. There's nothing wrong with praying out loud in public. There's actually nothing wrong with praying silently in public. The problem comes to the surface when you take public prayer and you press it through that filter of the motivations of your heart. And you see what comes out the other side. And then you have to ask, why am I doing this? Nothing wrong with public prayer. There may be something wrong with the motivation of your heart that would lead you to pray in public. And that's what this is talking about. Jesus says again, like he did last week, not like the hypocrites. That's just as a reminder, if you were here with us last week, a hypocrite in Jesus' day referred to kind of an actor who put a mask on. And so it has the idea that Jesus is communicating that there's a religious person who's treating the whole world as a stage and presenting a certain kind of part, an actor in a play. It's a person who's wearing a mask that you might not see what really you're like behind it. It's an inconsistency between the heart and then the actions of a person that's really intended to project a bit of deception about who that person is. It's wanting to be seen in some way, maybe better or different than you really are. Jesus just says, don't be like them. And you go, okay, perfect. Tell me how not to be like them and I won't do that. That's our response, I think. Tell me what they did. I'll make sure to stay away from that. Jesus says, verse 5, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Again, let me say, the problem in this passage of Scripture is not that they were praying while they were standing. The problem is not that they were praying when they gathered together. The problem was not that they were praying while they were walking down the street or in their workplaces or in the marketplace. That's not the problem in this passage of Scripture. There's nothing wrong with standing for prayer. There's nothing wrong with praying when we gather together. There's nothing wrong with praying at work. There's nothing wrong with praying when we're going for a walk around the city. There's nothing wrong with praying anywhere, at any posture, at any time. There's nothing wrong with approaching God in that way. Problem here in this passage is that they were praying that they may be seen by others. Some of our prayers are spontaneous. Some of them are written down. Some of them are praying scripture. Some of them are praying with old historic prayer books that we take and we recite those prayers that have been written by the saints who've gone before us. Some of our prayers 
are silent. Some of our prayers are spoken. Some of our prayers are written. But what I want to say is no matter what prayer, prayer is an authentic act of faith where we talk to God. And sometimes we talk to him like we talk to our best friend. And that's the language of prayer in our lives. Other times we talk to him in a way like we would approach a holy king, somebody who is other than us, and we approach him with reverence and awe. And that's right. And we should approach him in that way as well. And sometimes we pray just prayers of thanksgiving, where it's kind of like the overflow of our heart, where we're just joy-filled in that moment. And we just say, God, I thank you so much for the circumstances that are going on around me. And other times we pray in the depths of our pain and sorrow. And our prayers can sound like that. And sometimes the depth of pain and sorrow and suffering that we have going on in our hearts doesn't come out in words. It comes out in a groan. That's a prayer unto God. He hears us. It's not the posture. It's not the volume. It's not where you're standing or sitting or laying down. It's not where you're located geographically. None of those things are the problem in this passage. It's praying so that they may be seen by others. That is the problem in this passage. The content and the form of prayer is not the problem. So don't paralyze your prayer life by overthinking it, right? The next time you're a community group and someone's like, who'd like to pray? And you're like, okay, is my motivation right? Hmm. Well, if I say that theological term, they'll think I'm smart. Hmm. If I pray with that, like, Jesus (laughs) kind of tone, (laughs) they'll think I'm really spiritual. So maybe I'll just mute that and I won't say anything. And then all of a sudden the prayer meeting's over. You spent the whole time thinking about yourself. Okay. Don't analyze your prayer life into paralysis. It's the paralysis of analysis that will shut your prayer life down. Just talk to your Father in heaven. Just talk to him. And you know what? I do this all the time. Stuff comes out of my mouth and I'm like, oh, I said that for my own glory. Ugh. Now, at least I catch it a little more than I used to. <laughs> I just go, oh, that's not good. God, would you forgive me for saying that? I, I said that so they would think well of me, not well of you. Just catch it, put it to death, move on. Don't overanalyze this. That's, that's the temptation I think most of us have. Or it's the temptation to justify why we never pray out loud at all, ever. I'll come to that in a minute. There's nothing wrong with praying in public. There's nothing wrong with praying in front of people. I do it every Sunday. It's awesome. There's nothing wrong with praying out loud together. We're going to do it later on in this gathering. The problem is that they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners that they may be seen by others. And so the problem with the prayer of the religious hypocrite is that the primary audience is people and not God. They're praying for people. They're performing that they might be seen by others. Now, we know that good, observant Jews in the first century when Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount would pray at least formally three times a day. They would pray in the evening before they went to bed, they'd pray in the morning when they awoke, and they'd pray in the afternoon at the time of the sacrifice, around three o'clock in the afternoon. And here's the problem. They were praying that they might be seen. Now, probably they weren't seen before they went to bed, and probably they weren't seen when they first woke up in the morning, though maybe, but definitely they could be seen in the afternoon in the hustle and bustle of the city. And what they would do is they would make sure that they were at the right place, that they might be noticed when they were praying. Scott McKnight said they prayed wherever they were at the hour of prayer, but it so happens that some hypocrites planned where to be at the hour of prayer. That is, they planned to be conspicuous at the time of prayer. So it's like, okay, there's going to be 
a lot of people over there in that market, and it's getting near to the hour of prayer. Go over here and warm myself up. Get those words flowing. Get my voice working so my Shakespearean elocution is good. I want to be heard by many, and I want to be seen to be praying in this way. That was the problem. If we're praying like the religious hypocrite, it might mean that we're showing up to be seen and heard by others so that they will think better us, better of us than, than they ought. We've thrown a mask on so that we can be perceived in a particular way. Oh, look, it's the time of prayer. I happen to be at the busiest corner of the busiest market in the city. I happen to be standing outside the door of the shop that's owned by the parents of the girl that I really like, and they're very spiritual, and I'd like them to notice me out here praying at the hour of prayer. Oh, and on this side of the street is the old widow who I'm asking to finance my next endeavor and my next mission trip, and so hopefully she'll see me in the crossfire of being seen. Who God will be glorified. And oh, down the street, I see my teacher coming from grade 10. My grand, he's the one who looked at me and said, I would never amount to much, so you can stuff it while I pray over here. And then they pray, and they say this. Oh God, thank you that I'm not like other sinners. That's the prayer of the hypocrite in the Gospels. Jesus is talking about a particular group of people who prayed in a particular kind of way. The heart motivation. They're not praying so that they can converse with their Heavenly Father. They are performing as stage actors that they might be seen by others. They're using prayer as a platform to flex their spirituality, to create and cultivate an image that they might be taken seriously by those people. They get the praise. They get the respect. They get the admiration they're looking for. And Jesus says that is all the reward they will get. Matthew 6, 5 says, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. Now, the problem here is that you can either receive the reward of people praising you for your awesome spirituality. Oh my gosh, Brett, when you pray, the heavens shake. And I thank you very much done the reward's over i got it that's what i was aiming at and somebody says that that's all the reward there is you can't have both the affirmation of the father and praise of others you got to pick one and if you're aiming at the praise of others in your prayer life you won't have the affirmation of your father but if you're aiming at the affirmation of the father it doesn't matter if they praise you or not Now, I don't think most of us are running around with prayers that we're reciting from memory, you know, at the afternoon time of prayer. Like, you know, you're at your office tomorrow, and you're at your clump of cubicles, and you stand up at your desk. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and you stand up on top of the desk and go, it is the hour of prayer. <laughs> like, I don't think that's what we're doing. Yeah, if anything, and I, I have lots on this that I'm not going to say, but I will say one thing. If you are unwilling to pray in public, I would say you are just as controlled by the view of others as the religious person, the religious hypocrite who wants the praise of others. And at the end of the day, if other people are controlling the dimension of your prayer life, uh, that's a fear of man issue that we want to address. Like you might be worried that people won't accept you 
or if they knew how you really felt, like if they knew that your prayers were full of doubt and anger at the moment, then maybe they wouldn't love you. I just say, like, read the Psalms. Prayers of doubt and anger all through the Bible. You're in good company. But just bring that together. Don't, don't avoid. Don't hide. And most of us are not tending toward the religious. I mean, there's no, not no, there's very little positive impact by being seen as a Christian person in the culture that we live in. So you're not standing out on the street corner being like, look at me. But I would say you're more tempted to be quiet and silent so that others might not actually know that that's the kind of thing you're into. The problem with the prayer of the religious hypocrite is that the primary audience is people, not God. So we've got to ask ourselves, are we praying like religious hypocrites? Or maybe secondly, we're praying like anxious pagans. Look at verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And when it says Gentiles, it's just Jesus talking about all the other nations around them that were not the Jewish people. Just all the other nations. In the context, he's talking about all the other nations and how they worship different gods than the God of Israel, the God of the Bible. And so there were different ways that they would approach God or their gods, the small g gods, because they were religious in their own right. They just, they just had a different view. Basically, the theology of the pagans or the Gentiles was that the gods were capricious and mean and vindictive and that you had to appease them somehow and that if you kind of manipulated them with the right words and the right phrasing and maybe just the volume of other, uh, you know, volume in terms of loudness or volume in terms of the amount of words you said that you would then be heard by these small G gods and they would respond. That was kind of the pervasive worldview around it. And Jesus is contrasting that view of the Gentile world, praying like anxious pagans against praying to your father who already knows your needs before you ask. It's a different way to think about who God is. What it comes down to is that pagan prayer is more like, you know, a magical incantation where you've got to say the right words and you think that would then cover, I, I think it covers all, you know, meditative mantras and repetitive phrases and all the things that go on around us in the world that we live in where it's like, I can be heard if I say the right thing or I can maybe not be anxious if I say all these right things in terms of a meditative phrase. It's talking about empty words. It's talking about babbling on and on and on. When it says that they heap up empty phrases, it's just talking about going on and on and on with our language and the words that they will be then heard by, it says they will be heard for their many words. John Stott called this, um, well, he said this describes any and every prayer, which is all words and no meaning, all lips and no mind or heart. Um, I think it's, in, in, in the context of us, maybe just here, it's prayerless prayers. It's when your lips are moving, but your heart and mind are not engaged. And so, yes, oh, Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I hope the Oilers won last night. Are we having roast for dinner, or is it? That happens to us. No, no, shut that down. It's not for your many words. It's not going through the sort of rites and rituals. It's actually the transformative work that happens when you engage your heart and mind with the words that you're praying. So we're not heard for our many words. We're not heard because we say lots and lots of things. We're heard because our Father in heaven loves us and knows our needs before we even ask. It's the passage in 1 Kings that kind of highlights what I'm trying to get at. And it, Basically, I'm going to fly through it, but God's people had wandered. And God had raised up a prophet named Elijah who was going to be calling them back to following 
their God in faithfulness rather than in waywardness. And Elijah sets up a contest between 450 false prophets of a small g God named Baal or Baal and Elijah himself as a representative of the God of Israel. He sets up this contest where they're supposed to build an altar. They all come together and they're going to sacrifice a bull and they're each going to lay the bull out on the altar and they're going to call out to their God and see whose God sends fire down to consume the offering. I love contests. I also love power encounters like this. And so I've loved this passage since I first read it when I first became a Christian. It says in 1 Kings 18, verse 25, Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. Now look at this. They took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal, Baal or Baal, from morning until noon. Okay? Long time. Saying, Oh, Baal, answer us! But there was no voice and no one answered. And then they limped around the altar that they had made. They sort of danced around. And at noon, Elijah mocked them saying, cry aloud for he's a God. I told you I love this passage. Elijah the prophet mocks them. Cry aloud for he's a God. Either he's musing or he's relieving himself or he's on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. Now this is a brutal scene. As midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, again in the afternoon. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. The anxious prayer of the pagan. Look at verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel should be your name. And with these stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around the altar as great as would contain two seahs of seed, which is a lot. And then he put the wood in order to... Then he. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. You go, Elijah, we want it to light on fire. He goes, I know. Then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. Then he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell on their face and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. God is our Father, and he hears our prayers. Elijah didn't run around doing any sort of magical act. He didn't run around in some sort of ecstatic trance. He didn't run around in some kind of meditative wanderings and cutting himself and bleeding to show how much he loves God. He just simply prayed. Our Father knows what we need before we ask Him. 
We don't pray like anxious pagans. Verse 7 says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So Christ said, how do your prayers sound? Again, not getting into the paralysis analysis or analysis into paralysis kind of thing. But how do they sound? Do they sound like the desperate cry of somebody who is not quite sure if they've woken their God up yet that day? Like you may not be heard? Or do they sound like a child just asking his father for something, asking her father for something? There's a lot of anxiety in the city around us right now. What if we can just shine a little bit of light by coming alongside somebody who is filled with fear and just saying, you know, I have a God we can speak to. We don't have to be anxious about this. He hears our prayers and he knows our needs before we ask, can I pray for you? I'm telling you in moments of anxiety in our culture, people will let you, a person of peace, enter into their life and pray for them in a way that they might not if that crisis was not around us. We don't pray like anxious pagans. The problem with the religious hypocrite was that the audience is people and not God, our Father. And the problem with the prayer of the anxious pagan is that they've misunderstood God altogether. But we don't pray with anxious words and with endless anxious phrases. We, we just pray as people who talk to our dad. So we don't pray like religious hypocrites. And secondly, we don't pray like anxious pagans. Third, we pray like children of the Father. We pray as children of God. Verse 6 says, When you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Go into your room, shut the door. I don't think that's meaning there's only one place in your house when you find a windowless room with a lockable door, that that's the only place you can go pray. What he's saying is don't flash your prayer life around for the praise of others. The religious hypocrites love to be heard by the public when they pray. A child of God loves the secret place. Anxious pagans aren't sure if they're actually heard at all, but a child of God prays with the confidence of a father who knows our needs before we ask. How do you know that you can be sure that he hears you? That he is your heavenly father who knows your needs? How do you, how do you know and have confidence in that? Well, God, our father's interest in having you as his child cost him everything. It's the death of his beloved son, Jesus, who makes a way for us to enter into relationship with God, our father, and then to enter into confidence as we pray. At just the right time in history, Jesus entered in, became a man, and revealed God's love to us in greater measure than we could have ever comprehended before. Jesus came to suffer and die. He entered into our midst. He willingly laid his life down that he would be sinned against and hated and mocked and ridiculed and crucified so that we could be adopted as children of his father. We can be assured of this because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. You can be confident of your heavenly father's love because he gave his beloved son that you might come to him. That he sent his son to atone for our sin in his death on the cross 
and that he raised his son from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we might know that this is just the beginning of a new eternal life. And we can be assured that we are welcomed eternally into our Father's new family. And this is what we have in Jesus. It says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And ladies, this is the kind of son language you want to be in on. This is speaking to the fullness of your inheritance that you receive. We are sons and daughters of the King. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. See, this is your inheritance language. It's through the sacrifice of God the Son that God the Father draws us to Himself. And this is what we have in Jesus. And if this is true, then we're free. We're actually free from being enslaved to the praise of others. We don't need to be religious hypocrites and pray that way so that we'll be loved because we're already loved and secure in our relationship with our Father. See, if this is true of us, then we don't have to pray like anxious pagans because we can be assured that our Father hears our prayers. See, if this is true, and it is, then you're free to come to the Father as a child and be cared for. Our hearts cry, Abba, Father. It's Daddy. It's my dad. He's our Father who sees in secret. He promises to reward us. And what is that reward? I think the reward is the certainty of his fatherhood and our status as his children. I think that's the reward. Some of you were raised by abusive dads. Absent dads, disapproving dads, ungodly dads, just downright terrible dads. Others of you were raised by well-meaning dads who did the best they could with what they had, but their shortcomings have left the scars on your heart to prove that they were not perfect. And I just want you to hear God, your father, is different. He is perfect. So I learn a lot about what a person believes when I get to pray with them. And there's some men that I've had in my life who I've never heard them call God their father. They're okay with Lord, they're okay with God, they're okay with Master, but they struggle with Father. Maybe he can heal some of those wounds in our life. See, when you know God is your Father in Christ City, I just want to speak some things over to you, just over you as I close right now. But when you know God is your Father, you know that you're not forgotten or orphaned. That you're chosen and adopted as his own. Hear that today. Follower of Jesus in this room, hear that. When you know God as your Father, you are not rejected and cast away, but you are accepted and you are welcomed home. When you know God as your Father, you don't have to plead to be heard in prayer because you've been given the assurance that He knows what you need before you even ask because you are fully known and you are fully loved. When you know God as your Father, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing and you're redeemed from your lostness. You're forgiven all of your sin, past, present, and future. 
And in your repentance from sin and your acceptance of salvation in Christ, you have received an imperishable inheritance that can never be taken from you. So when you know God as your father, it means all he has is yours. You don't need to be anxious. You don't need the praise of others. When you know God as your father, you are promised access to the throne of grace to receive mercy in your time of need. See, you are a citizen of a new kingdom. You are a member of a new family. And you can be confident that God will complete the work that he has begun in you. See, you can know as a child of the father that you've been chosen and appointed to bear fruit for his cause in his kingdom. And you are his workmanship in Christ. And that you're called as a minister of reconciliation because you get to participate in what your loving father is doing in this world. Oh, the reality that we get to play in this. And when you know God is your father, you are free from condemnation in Jesus' name. You're assured that he works for your good in every circumstance and you're free from any word of condemnation that could be brought against you and you will never again be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a promise if you're a child of the Father. So we don't pray like religious hypocrites that are eager for the praise of others. We don't need to. We have all the affirmation we need from our Father. We don't pray like anxious pagans who are really, really worried that he might not actually hear us because does he really love us or does he just adopt us because no one else wanted us? No, no, no. He wanted you. So we lay down our anxieties in prayer and we come to him in peace. We come to him as children. As children. We can ask him anything we want at any moment in any place. Know how loved you are by our Father. Do you stand as we respond today? Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.